Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of our Business in Focus podcast. I'm Marina Morris, a director at PwC and I'm your host for this episode. Very few of us could have predicted the turmoil and uncertainty we've experienced over the past year. This has had a huge impact on how we approach risk in both our personal as well as professional lives. And at PwC, we've been thinking a lot about what that means for business, government and society. So in this episode, we're going to be discussing the risks that are set to shape UK organisations and how leaders are looking at them differently now compared to before the pandemic. We're also going to be sharing practical advice to help you manage the business risks you're currently facing, as well as help you plan for the future. I'm delighted to be joined in our virtual studio today by Matt Margarison, Chief Operating Officer at Hotel Chocolat. Hi, Matt. How are you doing today? Hi, Rowena. Nice to meet you. Um, nice to be joining the call today and talking about such a, an impactful event that will hopefully advantage us all for the future. And great to have you here. And I'm very happy also to be joined by Richard Bales. So Richard is PwC UK's National Leader of Governance, Risk and Compliance. Hi, Richard. How are you? Hi, Rowena. Very good to join you. Thanks for having me. So Matt, if we start with you, clearly the past year has been extremely challenging for businesses and we've heard so many stories on this podcast from leaders about how they've adapted to the rapidly changing risk landscape. So I'd be interested to hear your perspective on how has the pandemic impacted Hotel Chocolat's approach to expansion and growth? So I think it's, um, as you rightly say, it's been a, an intriguing roller coaster the last 12 to 15 months. So I think... The headlines for us has been that a pre-existing plan for growth and expansion globally has really been accelerated. So culturally, I think we, apart from the sort of incident management, as we would see it um, in terms of the way that we responded and reacted, which I'm sure we'll come on to later, other than the t- techniques, what we actually saw was our vertically integrated business model really advantaged us in terms of agility, in terms of how do we um, service our customer demand on a on a much more agile, short-term, accessible basis? So what I mean by that was any decisions that we made were probably in the medium to long-term horizon. We just had to expedite them much more quickly. The benefit that we'd got is because we make the majority of our products, most of the accessibility is through our own channels and through some of our strategic wholesale partnerships. It just meant that we were able to react. So instead of a really long internal supply chain, we're quite agile. We hold the inventory. We manage the service ourselves. So I, I I guess we did two things. One was an immediate response where channels were closed. So where bricks and mortar retail had to shut, we were able to shift all of the stock and resourcing into online supply. But also it just meant that some of our roadmaps for expansion have just been accelerated as a result. So I guess in crude terms, we we made a virtue of the fact that we had to move faster and in a different direction. Really interesting to hear about that sort of dual track approach. Um, So I I suppose moving to Richard, as we progress through the pandemic, how can business leaders pivot from that crisis management that Matt was talking about um, to start to look for opportunities to grow? Yes, well, firstly, I would say that we're obviously certainly not through the pandemic, as, as as you point out. Uh, and it may still have some significant twists and turns. Um, so firstly, before looking at upside opportunity, ensuring that lessons learned and continuous improvement is is kind of existing in the organization uh, is very important. Um, 
this has obviously brought the issue of continuity much closer to the, the CEO's attention, for example. Um, so understand what worked well and what didn't and make sure the resilience of the organization is either intact or, or in, in fact improved. Um, in the discussions I have with um, many different clients in many different sectors, one of the things that's come to me is that there's almost like a, 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 a stage gates that organizations have either moved through at different paces really. Um, uh, clearly, there was a react phase, which meant that most were getting to grips with the situation and ensuring they could operate, I guess, at an acceptable level. Um, incessant cash flow modeling, checking in with people on a daily basis, uh, and I'm sure that resonates with most people listening to this. Um, moving into some more of a stabilized phase was the next uh, element that I, that I generally I see out there. Um, this is more about taking control of the new risks that exist and taking more proactive stance and ensuring long-term liquidity. Uh, and in many, in many ways, these two phases are, as you quite rightly described, they lend themselves to more of a sort of a crisis management behavior. Uh, but the right reasons, uh, that this is done for the right reasons. And, and I'm sure Matt will attest to in terms of you know, keeping operationally moving forward, there was a need for agility and sort of an incessant focus. Um, I'm generally pleasantly surprised at how I hear organizations have 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 survived and been resilient. Um, um, and I would refer to actually Matt's uh, colleague and founder of Hotel Chocolat, Angus, who once said to me in a risk discussion um, that we have discovered that when we want to uh, and we have to, we can, which I thought was a really lovely way of coining the situation. Um, and generally what I found is people have found a way to adapt. Just thinking then to your question about upside opportunity, many are moving and are, are at the stage or have started moving through more of a rebound and thrive type of phasing. Um, and that lends itself to some organic and inorganic opportunities. Um, firstly, on inorganic growth, I've heard some great stories of how organizations have fundamentally changed their operating model or channel to market. Um, an example that springs to mind is a distillery business, uh, uh, which immediately switched to pure ethanol production. As, as, an, as an ingredient to hand sanitizer. And for me, that had a double whammy of being agile and doing the right thing, but also keeping um, production going uh, as it was deemed a critical um, production plant by the government. Um, organic growth has been, it's been heavily publicized how many businesses are finding that they were successfully working remotely. Um, and this is sort somewhat becoming permanent status quo or indeed a remote, a remote working system. The benefit of this enhanced flexibility, I think, is starting to feed through to the bottom line for many organizations. Um, um, but in a way, I think it's it's useful to looking at these four phases of react, stabilize, rebound, thrive. It's possibly useful to, to pause, validate where organiza organizations are on this spectrum and, and adapt a bit more specifically to it. So for example, you know, this might allow organizations to move into more of a growth mindset. Um, so daily operational huddles get replaced by strategic planning events, et cetera. Uh, and each company will evolve at their own pace. Some great insights there. And Matt, I would be keen to have your perspective um, here too around how it's made you think differently about risk. I'm not sure that it's actually made us think differently about risk, but I think what it's got is um, certainly everybody's attention in terms of, you know, we, we've got quite a dynamic culture. Um, we've, we've built our position as affordable luxury. So, again, that's about how do we make that 
um, how do we improve accessibility without becoming ubiquitous, I think is the challenge. And I think the interesting thing in terms of the way we think about risk is we, we've practiced an awful lot in the last five, six, seven years in terms of um, crisis management and incident management. So, so just the connectivity, the behavior, the, um, the escalation. And again, it's just, it sounds really mundane, but the desktop exercises, the scenarios, the, and I think obviously nobody could have predicted a, the pandemic or the impact and ongoing impacts, as Richard rightly said, we mustn't be complacent in terms of the next phases to work through. But I do think culturally, if you can think about opportunity and agility and also in the same context, have a what what are the areas of protection or the risk and whether that's an allowable or acceptable risk. I just think it's um, I think it's consolidated our senior management culture. So it, it stops this pendulum swing that you can achieve in a number of businesses, which is kind of go, go, go and then consolidate or slow 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 I think it, it creates a much more um, balanced conversation and I think that that's probably the thing that's changed is that I think more expansively in terms of the um, stakeholders when we're considering opportunities and risks I think that diversity of thinking and impact I think is really important so coming back to Richard's point our brand centre team within Hotel Chocolat have been absolutely essential in this you know they're the people who are talking to our customers day in day out correcting things changing things making substitutions because you know in hindsight it's really easy to say that you know good and and forward-thinking businesses have navigated through and made opportunity of it but we mustn't forget that not all the results have been right and I do think that that continuous improvement approach has been really useful and I think that it's sometimes given um People within the business, you know, uh, specific managers or specialist areas, I guess more more of a voice in terms of an impact that may not be a, a business priority as such. You know, so to give some context, though, clearly we wanted to maintain supply. We've got a duty of care to our team. We wanted to make sure that we could continue trading. But once we'd got through that robustness part of the phase, then it was the where is the opportunity? Where is the pent up demand going to come from? Um, and we had a really wide stakeholder group in terms of those incident management teams. And the frequency was fast and very frequent. And I guess what we've managed to do is inflect between the burning platform of dealing with the impacts to now our strategic plans that were maybe three, five, ten years out into the future. I think we we're able to compress some of those timeframes just because of I guess the straightforwardness of the conversation, if I'm honest with you, Rowena, there's, you know, there's no preciousness around the opportunity and the risk and the speed of which we're able to execute now. I really agree with all of that. And it really resonates. We've had um, a number of different podcasts where we've, we've sort of explored how this might have changed sort of leadership styles, sort of working through the pandemic and definitely themes coming through that you've just talked about around that growth mindset and around proper teaming. Um, not just in the senior leadership teams too, but from an operational perspective, people thinking much more broadly about how does what I'm doing connect in and create more value with other departments. So really interesting hearing your take on that. And Richard, wondering if you might want to just touch on how risk might have transformed the way that you lead or the conversations that you're having with, with your clients around how they're approaching leadership. Yes. I mean, I would say that, I mean, first, 
first and foremost, PwC as an organization is is very much a people business. I know everyone says that our organization is a people business. We are very much about people, uh, both in our employees uh, and our clients. So that so one thing I would say that is a common theme. I, I hosted um, uh, a group of risk leaders um, in the technology sector actually recently, and one of the pervasive themes coming from this type of question in terms of the interaction levels was a real concern around sort of the, the health physically and mentally of of their teams. Um, I've never heard it come through so significantly, um, and that is obviously paramount to delivering results. Um, and from a PwC perspective, in terms of leadership, from a personal perspective, is you know we can only deliver our results and our purpose indeed if if that that is intact so to exist purposefully we're sort of essentially rightly compelled as leaders uh, as partners uh, to demonstrate care and communicate with empathy um, so i think it's 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 you know in many ways we've talked about the acceleration of operating models and i like the way matt describes you know realizing you know for example i know over in the us matt you know e-commerce becoming much more of a, a channel as a result of the pandemic, that was an acceleration that, that that applied. But in many ways, in the in the leadership and the people side of things, it's becoming there's much more humanity, I think, without sounding too profound, in the interactions. Um, and quite often, I find that, you know, staring at a screen 12 to 15 hours a day is never a helpful thing for anyone. So, telling people to switch off, um, simple things like having I know in my team, I have, sometimes we have designated walk meetings where we, the camera's switched off, we walk, we exercise. Um, I also see the humanity with clients as well, actually. Um, I had a, I just give a scenario I had this week, actually. I had a pitch date with a very important client for next week. Um, and I actually felt comfortable enough asking for a deferral to the following week. It was a very formalized competitive tender. And the reason was because I'm off to see my mum next week who I haven't seen for 18 months. And and I was quite anxious making this call, but interestingly, uh, the conversation with the client was that they were off also, and this was actually very helpful, and it, it developed the relationship further. And and, and from a leadership perspective, what, what I think, what I hope landed was the team saw that interaction as a very, you know, private life first sort of, sort of sense. And so I think it is these simple things. Um, um, and And I feel that it's a very humane, series of risks that our clients are facing in their leadership journey as well. I do think that there's seen as um, a sense of prob probably there is a likelihood of um, a much greater attrition in people once the release from lockdown resume uh, alleviates and uh, and people sort of come up for air essentially. And, and uh, I think a lot of organizations should be looking at how the well-being um, pulse is in their organization. I love that story about the client with you visiting your mum that really resonates. And um, Matt, have you got anything else that you would want to share around sort of leadership styles and how they've evolved, I guess, over the last sort of year or so? Yeah, I think you raised some really good points there, um, Richard. And it's really interesting reflecting on how we have navigated our way through. I think it's testimony to our culture because we are, I think that you would uh, support Richard. We're very can-do, very driven. But I think what that's helped us do is to actually hone that down into you know there are two really clear messages within the business and that is focusing on that what we would regard as an, an hc household so a hotel shopper household so being completely agnostic to channel whereas i think 
historically a lot of multi or omni-channel businesses still have to have vertical structures in order to deliver it. So, so genuinely, are our customers getting the product that they want with as little friction as possible? You know, we're an ideas engine anyway, so it allows us to pull things off the, the hypothetical shelf, so getting them to market quicker. But I think the other thing is doing the right thing. And I think that we've we've always had a very strong culture in terms of rec- like genuine recognition, not the not an employer branding type of recognition, but just doing the right thing by people. So I think that that equality has existed in terms of we're not hierarchical. We've had a broad range of people working on the navigation through the last 12 to 15 months. And I think that's just permeated through into the day-to-day. I just think it's a... Um, not that any permission was required, but I just think it's further instilled that do the right thing by your team. Yes, there are policies and frameworks. Um, and yes, of course, we need to have fair and equal treatment, but also we all need to be treated as individuals. And I think that that more often than not, is just the encouragement to ask or the permission to ask, as you rightly say, Richard, it's it's a pretty basic thing. But I think in the day-to-day of business, it can just get in the way. It, it just becomes a, a perception that's doesn't really exist. It's a, I need to take some time out, I need to do something, and that's fine. And it's allowable. And any decent line manager, leader, or whatever can appreciate that. I just think, you know, we have to look at the positives that come out of this. How do we change the future for the better? And all I can say is I think it's just distilled down our culture even further, um, whether that's at a senior level or through the teams. And back to your point, um, Rowena, it's really interesting because operationally our team and most of the teams I interact with are really good problem solvers and they can see the issue as opposed to necessarily see where the opportunity is and I think that this balance between driving for the opportunity or driving for the gap or the growth in balance with the where's the risk and how do you mitigate it is is kind of compatible and I think that that's what this is doing I think it's giving much more operational voice in terms of there are some things that are really clunky or may not work very well within the business or to the customer. What are we going to do about it? Whereas in the past, you know, lots of operational people make great microcosm workarounds. And I think that what this has done is given permission of, well, let's just talk about this stuff. And it's either going to be material or it won't be. And we'll either work on it and we won't, but at least it's done transparently. And I genuinely think that that's permeated through because people want to add value, more value. Um, so yeah, Long may it continue in, in a loose framework for Hotel Chocolat because it's definitely brought out the best in our culture and our performance. There's no question. That's really, really good to hear. And I feel like you've given a lot of um, really good tips and sort of pieces of, of advice within that. I'm just wondering, Matt, if you had, um, as we need to sort of wrap up, if you had one piece of advice that you'd give to leaders to help them to navigate the current risk landscape, what would it be? And then, Richard, I'll come to you next. Well, I'm glad that you left the easy one until last, Rowena. <laughs> um, I would say don't expect to have all the answers. I think it's really um, easy to fall into a trap where you have a business continuity or a risk responsibility that you, by the fact that you lead it or you have some formal responsibility, that you feel the need to have a lot of the answers. I guess my personal takeout through the impacts from the pandemic have been Nothing could be further from the truth. Yes, you have to put in the drive and the framework and the engagement, but what you also need to do is actively listen. You need to take on board this diversity of views and opinions to really distill down into an action plan. And I think 
the takeout is have good people around you who are transparent, don't hold back, will give you their view and their opinion in an objective way. And I just think just encouraging that. And I, and I think it's the speed of response is not necessarily about acting quickly. I think it's thinking quickly. And I think that that just means giving people time to to pull their view into some kind of shape as opposed to finger clicking because we need to make some decisions. It's more a case of actually, are they rigorous? Have we preempted the next step? Almost there's no preciousness. There's no, there's no stupid inputs. And I think that that's, that's the part that I've really taken out of the last 12 to 15 months. It's worth the airtime, make a good decision and then execute it well. I really like that. And ultimately, that's going to bring you the competitive advantage, right? So why why would you not invest that time and encourage people to feel empowered to make that you know bigger difference across the organisation? I think the, the challenge in that is going to be when you've got a when you've got a burning platform, you have no choice. How do you how do you maintain that moving forward without burning people out? I guess is going to be the challenge. So back to Richard's point. How do you how do you soften it, but you still take the competitive advantage from this transparency and speed of thought? So, I suppose ultimately, my reflection on the conversation is around: it's how do you capture this way of working for the long term and make it sustainable? Maybe Richard, you have a you have a top piece of advice to end um, end the podcast on. Maybe to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Matt touches on a lot of great points there. I think I think there's a lot of fatigue out there. Um, I think the endless um, people interactions on on screen uh, has taken will have taken its toll. Um, so don't forget the engagement and well-being of of your people would be my my recommendation. And and also as as a uh, you know, PwC is is probably I've been in a number of organisations, but PwC has uh, in my view a very good way of painting the strategy, the vision, etc. Not every organization has enough time and focus to paint a clear vision once they have come through this. And that's what I'd encourage as well is ultimately your people want a clear vision from you and they want to be inspired now more than ever. Really good piece of advice. Thank you very much both. So that that's it for another episode of Business and Focus. So thank you both very much for joining us. I really think fascinating conversation. And of course, thanks to everyone for listening too. So if this conversation has got you thinking about how you can rethink risk, visit our website at pwc.co.uk forward slash rethink risk. And on there, you can find our research into public perspectives on risk, as well as a wealth of other insights and stories to inspire you. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with all of our future episodes. Thanks, everyone, and stay safe.